Can we talk okay, about the you're, house? You're giving away a lot about the film right now. Wait, I'm. T- this is like, like, wait. Okay, I don't know what spoilers and what's not. Just, t- I just want to hear about how you felt about the oh movie. Oh my god. Okay, feelings. Okay. Yeah. Um, this is called I was, feeling it. I was. <laughs> Welcome to feeling it, a podcast where we discuss TV, movies, pop culture, and whether or not we are feeling it. If this is your first time joining us. Welcome to the show. Here's something neat. It's showtime! Hold your ears, folks. Here we go! See what you can do now. Take your position. All right, ladies, buckle up. Let's do this. Hold on to your butts. Seriously? Listen to me very, very carefully. Hey, it's me again. Eat him up. Enjoy. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to Feeling It. Each week on this show, we like to share what pieces of pop culture we're really feeling. Whatever show, movie, song, or tech, we just can't get out of our heads. In addition to those picks, this week we'll be talking about my highly anticipated movie, or I should say I'm highly anticipating this movie, Call Me By Your Name. Um, Before we get started with all of that, let's introduce ourselves. And when we do, let's answer the question, if you had to pick one piece of fruit to be an iconic piece of fruit for whatever film you might make in the future, what piece of fruit would you pick? Hey everybody, I am Ben Weaver. I'm a filmmaker in Austin, Texas. Avid fan of the pod. And I'd probably, is an avocado a fruit? I think it is. I would go with an avocado because first of all, it's the most beloved fruit slash vegetable. Um, Second, there's like a lot there, like a squishy center, and then you can like peel it away and then have like that skin to work with. Yeah. I don't know what you would do with that. Like maybe like- It's a great color. Maybe it could be like- like boob covers. Ooh. I don't know. I don't I'll know. take it. <laughs> That's my pick. Okay. Well, I'm Sandra Omstutz. I'm a social media manager in Nashville, Tennessee. And I'm going to give a really cliched answer here. Give it to me. I'm going to say pomegranate. It's Ooh, like the that... Hades, Persephone, you know, fruit. Oh, it's, I think... it's already iconic. I would make a movie that featured it I heavily. I thought you were going to say a frozen banana. No, that, no, no. I'm going to avoid those. <laughs> it would just be straight up over the <laughs> <Yes>. plate. <laughs> um, and I should say, so we, if the sound is a little bit different this week, it's because we're recording in a very different place. I'm here in Austin, Texas with Ben, mm-hmm. my dear, dear friend. We're at my house and we're recording with one mic. It's just two friends, one mic. Yeah. <laughs> that's, how, that's how we do it. <laughs> ben, I have an important question. Hit me. What are you feeling this week? Uh, okay, so I am one of those people who pays for Apple Music. Oh, uh, really? I am, yeah. Like one of the weird <laughs> random people. Uh, I paid for it because Frank Ocean does a radio show right. called Blondin. Right. And you can only get it if you listen to Yeah, you're you, dedicated. I am dedicated. But what I recently discovered was a lot of the radio stations, um, the playlist that they have um, on Apple Music. And I'm trying to pull it up right now. Um, through Beats 1. And what I'm feeling this week is what I listen to when I go to the gym, when I work out. Um, It is uh, Ebro Darden's show. Um, It's basically he's a DJ for two hours and he plays great hip hop music. Um, And it has introduced me to some great songs. I'll put it on not knowing anything about it and about what he's going to play. And he's introduced me to a lot of music that people already know, Um, like Halsey, is that how you say her name? Halsey. Halsey, That's yeah. how I say it, yeah. Yeah, um, to uh, Basenji, this, there's an incredible track called Mistakes, uh, Fabulous, and Jada Kiss have a song called Soul Food. Uh, he spun some Young Thug, and I was like, I don't, I've heard of this, but I don't know who this is. Uh-huh. It was great. Um, J.I.D., who's like a female Kendrick Lamar. Okay. Um, and just so many other good songs, um, so many good artists. Unique, I think her name is. She has a song called Like Me that's really good. So does this mix, like, is it constantly changing? Or is it like there's a, a show that airs at a certain time? How does this work? show that airs at a certain time, and then they turn that into a playlist. Okay. And I'm not, I'm not... And how often does this happen? Uh, so Zane Lowe does one called, like, World Record or something like that. Right, but the one that you're specifically... I think he does it every weekday. Okay. Yeah. So it's always changing. Yeah. Yeah. It's really great. If you're looking to, you know, if you're tired of, like, Spotify playlists... And you decide to get Apple Music, go um, go listen to all of these uh, stations. They're really great. Yeah. Sandra, what yeah. are you feeling this week? 
This week, um, I'm feeling lots of things. It's the holiday season. Me too, girl. <laughs> we just got, you know, home from visiting our families. Lots of emotions. Mm-hmm. But the piece of pop culture I'm feeling this week mm-hmm. is a podcast. Um, I've been listening to this podcast for several weeks now, and it's become that podcast that is like at the top of my list right now. As soon as there is a new episode, I listen to it immediately. God, I love finding those. I know. So, um, so right now, that podcast for me is called Homophilia. Uh, it's hosted by um, two gay comedy writers, I guess I would call them. Mm-hmm. One is Dave Holmes. One is Matt McConkey. Mm-hmm. Um, and... They interview queer people for their podcast. Um, cool. They talk about pop culture, pop culture. They talk about relationships. They talk about just being queer. And um, it's become something I really look forward to every week. Yeah. They've had really cool guests on lately. Um, they had... Hit me with some guest names. Justin Simeon, who right. created Dear White People. Yes. Um, Lena Waithe from uh, Master of None. Mm, um, mm-hmm. That was an incredible episode. James Adomian is a great comedian. Mm-hmm. Uh, Samantha Ronson, Joel Kim Booster, Lou yes. Vertel, uh, Trayvon Free. He just got an HBO show about being bisexual. Oh, damn. Um, boy. Guy Branham, Elliot Glazer, Cameron Esposito. Yes. Just, and tons more. That's amazing. Um, it's so great because... There are podcasts that I only listen to the episodes where I know who the guest is, yep. and there are podcasts where I listen to every single episode. Mm-hmm. And this has become a podcast where I listen to every episode, mm-hmm. and it's introduced me to all these like great new queer comedy writers or television writers or whatever, media figures. Right. Um, That's so amazing when you can find a podcast that you listen to everything. I went home for Christmas... And I found myself listening to old episodes of podcasts I love because I needed something familiar. Even though I was at the place where my parents live yeah. and I grew up, right. I was like, I need something that reminds me of who I am. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's great. Yeah. Um, I like this podcast a lot because it's a mixture of lighthearted, superficial conversation and deep, meaningful conversation. It's mm. not just one or the other. Right. Um, they usually start out with the two hosts kind of catching up with each other mm-hmm. and just movie talk and TV talk. Just, what are you watching? How's your week been? That kind of stuff. Yeah. And then they introduce the guests and they usually ask the guests, like, what movies are you into? What TV shows are you into? And then it usually transitions into, okay, so what's your dating life like? Yes. Are you single? Are you not? Mm-hmm. What was your dating life like when you were growing up? Mm. Um, tell me about your family it's 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 the thing i want to ask everyone i meet (laughs) what movies are you watching what tv shows are you watching who are you fucking like (laughs) yes the important questions yeah the the questions where people will actually give a shit about the conversation right yes so it's really fun um and so yeah i recommend it to anyone but especially people that are highly interested in like queer media figures. Y'all, what I'm doing right now is I'm subscribing to it immediately because um, <laughs> Sandra and I have been friends for a long time. <laughs> and our friendship essentially began with Sandra recommending some things to me. And we've had this happen over the years where she'll, where she'll like grab me by the shoulders and be like, Ben, check this out. You're going to love it. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. And I don't get around to it for like six months, a year, two years. I finally get around to it and I'm like, Sandra, what the fuck? This is amazing. Why did I not watch this before? And she's like, I told you. I told you. Okay, so I'm My subscribing right now. Of all those things, of all the times that has happened. There's so many. It, there are tons. But was when I told you Mad Men was a good show. Oh my god, and did then, I really resist that? And then maybe like a year <laughs> or two later, Ben tweets something about like, why didn't no one tell me about Mad Men? You're just sitting over here. Yeah. Oh my god, that's so funny. Yeah. So those are what we're feeling this week. We're here to talk about Call Me By Your Name, Mm -hmm. but um, I feel like we should give listeners some context. Yes. Um, So today, Ben and I saw each other for the first time in Mm -hmm. several months. We embraced. Yeah, we did. And (laughs) we decided to see a double feature today. Mm -hmm. We went and saw Molly's Game. We're both very big fans of Aaron Sorkin. Huge. Um, And then we went immediately after Molly's Game to see Call Me By Your Name. Um, a movie that both of us have been talking about for months and months and for months. For so long. The anticipation has been so big. Right. So before we talk about Call Me By Your Name, I'm gonna have we're going to set that anticipation up a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to talk just a little bit about Molly's Game and our reaction to it. Yeah. 
Um, so Molly's game tells the story of Molly Bloom. Bloom? Yep. Who is a, um, she becomes well known for uh, hosting this celebrity poker game, this underground celebrity poker game. High roller. High roller. Private. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and she um, gets arrested. She gets um, basically fucked up by the government. And it all goes to shit. And this is the story of her going through the legal process. Also, the beginning of it, we get it in typical Sorkin fashion where he jumps around in the narrative. Um, and we should say that this is Aaron Sorkin's directorial debut. He yes. wrote and directed this movie. Yes. Uh, which is very exciting for me as mm-hmm. a fan of his work. And going into this, just a little bit of backstory. Um, I like knowing the numbers and stuff. Like I know like that the budget was $30 million, um, that... It received two nominations at the Golden Globes um, for Best Screenplay and for Best Actress in a Drama for Jessica Chastain. So Ben, without giving away any spoilers, okay. um, how did you feel about Molly's Game? Okay, so I felt um, that it was just a roller coaster. It was so fun. Um, and it was a movie where I was like, I could critically think about this, but I want to get swept up in it and not try mm. to think too deeply about it. Um, I'll probably watch it. I'll probably go watch it again. Yeah. Um, just because it's so cool. Yeah. The movie is so cool. Like, Jessica Chastain is so good in this movie at being every part of this character. But probably my favorite part is when she is, like, the seductive, like, badass motherfucker running these games. Um, because she does this thing where she gives these looks. And it's, like, the most incendiary fiery, that means the same thing, Uh, just the most like magnetic look at the people who are playing poker, um, to her dealers, um, to all these different people. And you know, like, I think that's one of the the hallmarks of good acting. I think they said this about Brando, uh, was that you don't, you basically, as a viewer, read into what they're thinking what the what the actor what the character is thinking they're not really doing much like they are they're doing so much but they're not doing very much um and in this movie jessica chastain does a lot but she also can like let it simmer and it is so good yeah it's a poker movie i don't know if i've if i've watched that many poker movies i was thinking about it. i was like i haven't seen rounders uh ocean's 11 doesn't really count 21 i think with okay Jim Sturgis. yeah 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 um, and he who will not be named. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I love poker movies. I love poker movies. Was the Big Short a per- poker movie? It felt no. like one. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> sure. Just where there's like a lot of complicated things happening that they explain to you. Yeah. Um, I love what you said about you'll definitely rewatch this movie. Yeah. Aaron Sorkin's writing is infinitely rewatchable for mm-hmm. me. I've watched episodes of The West Wing countless times. Mm-hmm. I've watched episodes of his. You know, show Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. Which you love. Which I do love, sadly. (laughs) Um, Many, many times. I've watched The Social Network, one of my favorite movies, so many times. Moneyball. Yeah. You know, I could rewatch Moneyball. We haven't gone, I don't think it, have you gone, have you watched Sports Night? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Oh, definitely. Okay, I haven't watched it. Yeah. I'm not as big of a Sorkin fan as you. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So, this is absolutely a movie I'll be rewatching because Mm -hmm. Sorkin just like puts that in me. Um, Mm -hmm. I had a lot of fun with this movie. Mm-hmm. There was there was a devastating scene, scene that was devastating in a great way. Mm-hmm. Um, the rest of the movie was just incredibly entertaining. Right. One of my favorite things about this film is that the main character is like highly competent. Yes. Pretty much in everything she does. Yes. Um, her intellect is off the charts. Her you know social skills are incredible. Mm-hmm. She has charm. She has athletic ability. She's just amazing. Mm-hmm. I think if this had been not based on a true story, a lot of people would be like, "This is unrealistic. Mm-hmm. Who can do all of these things?" Right. To know that this is based off of a real woman and that this is a female lead character that is this um, multi-talented genius level. Um, successful person yeah. was so fun. It was so fun because she was a boss ass bitch and I was so inspired to like it was aspirational. I was like oh I need to like work hard and like get smarter because it is possible to be that smart and to like make moves and stuff. Yeah. Um, the scenes where um, she's setting up and she's running these poker games you feel like you're flying because everything works together so well in a way that you would want a poker scene to go. 
you know, very quick editing, quick, you know, shots of the cards and people making glances and all these different things. My favorite thing about this movie is that if you have no idea how to play the game poker, yep. this movie still makes complete sense. You have to, which that's what, like... Seth Rogen was talking about the disaster artist. And yeah. he was like, is this someone asked if this movie is for people who've seen the room or people who haven't? And he was like, It's for people who haven't. Like yeah. that's how we made it. Because otherwise right. it would just be like a cult following. Right. You know? And this movie is definitely one of those, like we mentioned before, the big short, where they explain complicated maneuvers and things that are happening to the audience. Um, <laughs> I heard someone critic who did not seem to like this game this movie say Molly's game? Yes. Um, say if you liked all of the scenes in the big short where they explain the housing crisis direct to the camera, yeah. you'll love Molly's <laughs> game. <laughs> and I did, and I loved this movie. Yeah. So that checks out. There are several scenes, so there are several scenes where it feels super sorkin, and I'm like, this is why we're here. Um, a lot of the scenes where Jessica Chastain is, is trying to convince and then talk to her lawyer, played by Idris Alba, um, they're their repartee is uh, is so good. Um, I wanted it to be a little bit different than it was, but there were several, I think there were two scenes where they were like, when you could feel it, it was like, oh, we are doing a Sorkin scene right now. Snappy back and forth comebacks. Right. Uh, and I've noticed, and you, you probably already know this, but it's so fun when, when you know you're in a Sorkin scene and he takes his left turn, which is be arguing about something. They'll be going back and forth, like one-liners, back and forth, back, back and forth. And then one character will say something that is completely unrelated and you know it's going to tie back in. Um, Edris Elba did that. I, think, I can't remember what he was saying, but he took like a, a random left turn and I was like, ah, we are in Zorkin territory right yeah. now. Um, in addition, so the, while all of that is very fun, this movie relies heavily on a voiceover narration from mm -hmm. the lead character. Mm -hmm. And I will say that for me, uh, I think it was way overused. Mm -hmm. um, I don't have a problem with it being used in some situations. Right. But pretty much the whole story of the movie was told via a voiceover. Yeah. Uh, and... That's my biggest critique of this film is that like a lot of times I think it just kind of went on and on when okay. we really didn't need it to. So I I know that it's historically the the famous thing to slam is like oh don't use voiceover they teach that in film school they yeah. tell Show, you don't that, tell. yeah but like why it's great I like it <laughs> uh, and that's great totally, argument it's just <laughs> it's just a personal preference but I'm just like this movie is pure entertainment. Um, it, there's a lot of it's going to be a Sorkin script, so there's going to be a lot of detail that needs to be crammed in to a short amount of time. I'm fine with someone just saying it at me. Um, I don't. It wasn't off-putting to me. I will say I think there are scenes where it worked really well. Mm -hmm. um, when it was fast-paced, she has to get across a lot of information. Like the at opening once. scene. The opening scene is yeah. a great example of that. Mm -hmm. um, but there were so many times in this movie where I felt like she was just kind of explaining her inner emotional state. Yeah. Where I was just like, you know, I'd rather just see it in the performance mm. than hear her explicitly tell me. Interesting. Yes. This is my emotional and state. That, <laughs> and that was kind of my problem with the scene that you said described as devastating was I felt like it was a little bit too much handed to us. Um, but, you know, ultimately, I think when a director makes choices, if you're along for the ride... Uh, you can forgive them for some stuff. I mean, I've forgiven Sorkin for a lot of stuff, <laughs> so that is no no surprise here. Yeah, um, it's so it was so nice and like I don't know. It, this is such a strange topic because people are always like, we need more women in lead roles, and yes, we do. But like all of my favorite movies are like lead, are women in lead roles being badass motherfuckers. And this is the tradition of a woman being so complicated and having some psychological issues that she's dealing with. We were talking in the car after we watched the movie uh, about the central uh, drama, I guess, the internal drama for the main character. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was super, you know, I, I kind of thought it was- A little uh, cliche. Reductive. Yeah, uh, <laughs> reductive. Um, but Sandra kind of like told me how it it kind of it makes sense and for me yeah. the main um, like crisis that the main character goes through mm -hmm. is um, it felt very true to life. I felt like yes, that could be me. I've seen that in myself. I've seen that in other women. Um, it doesn't feel reductive, as you said. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> I 
But that's because I feel like I've had personal experience with it. Yeah. And we should say that we did a double feature, and I think that it would be like a great double bill of like movies about fathers, movies yes. with fathers. Yes. Um, because fathers play a prominent role in both films. Right. In different ways. Yes. In very different ways. Um, but the father, um, played by Kevin Costner in this film, it's really, <laughs> he's such an interesting, uh, he's an interesting character because he's kind of, not a stereotype, but he's like a very familiar character. He's a, he's a driven dad who mm-hmm. wants the best for his kids and the best meaning that they have some sort of like financial or status success get really good in a field um rather than like spending time listening to them and and being a good father and this is a tangent but sure um i do really want us to move on to our next film so do do, do you have any final molly's game please y'all go see molly's game it's so fun it's like how long was it two hours it was long it's long two hours and 20 minutes and it didn't feel long to me. No. I had a great time. No, it flew by. Yeah, it flies by. Um, just go see it. Um, Molly's Game, it's great. Um, okay, great. Let's talk about it. Okay, so let's move on to Call Me By Your Name. Um, I think we should give some context mm-hmm. to our listeners. Mm-hmm. Ben and I just got home from seeing this movie. We and, just watched and it. And we have not talked about it not at a all. a single fucking word. Um, we did hold hands through... Uh, many scenes. Many scenes, probably collective time, about 40 minutes of this movie. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think we both um, know how each other feels, but we haven't spoken we haven't about, it, about yet. it Yeah. So like I said earlier, this is a movie, I don't remember when it first premiered at a festival, um, but it feels like it was almost a year ago. Mm-hmm. And so I've been listening to critics I love talk about this movie for... Um, is world premiere at the Sundance Film Festival on January. So literally almost, almost a, year. a year. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not coming out in Nashville until January 19th. So it's it coming out. It would have been a, a legit year. Yeah. So I've been listening to critics I love discuss this film and talk about how incredible it is and it might be their favorite movie of the year mm-hmm. for months and months and months. Which that is build up that you at a certain point you want the film to have some good some good build up like that, but right. it can have backlash. Oh, absolutely. You know? I feel like that happened with La La Land mm-hmm. last year. Yeah. Um for sure. And I was very concerned about having too high of expectations for this movie. Mm-hmm. Um and Ben and I would text about it all the time. Mm-hmm. Any like getting... little piece of information that would come out that yeah. like wasn't plot related, right? Like some sort of like the way that the film was interacting with pop culture, we would send back. And you forth to avoided each other. a lot more I than I did. I only saw the trailer. Okay, that's all I knew. Okay, wow, that's impressive to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, so um, it really so did take work. All that to say, we were really excited to see it together. Mm-hmm. Um, we're gonna have we're gonna talk about the film without spoilers and then with spoilers. Um, okay. So first, Ben, okay. without spoilers for this film, mm-hmm. um, how did you feel about Call Me By Your Name? Okay. So um, first of all, the film is very European um, in the pacing, in the way that it's shot, in the way that it switches between Italian and, and English. Um, and there is something so refreshing about watching uh, a film that is not made in America because there's... The, the film, the characters have room to breathe and they have room. It's not like we got to get, you know, a cut every two seconds, you know, got to like ram this down people's throat. It's like, no, like it's more of like a, not even a meditation, but it's like an observation. Uh, and that's what was really nice about this film was that I heard somebody say once that great films bring you into the, the world and the atmosphere of a very specific moment. And that's what this, this film does. I had tears streaming down my face, probably starting... There were like periodically throughout the film, but consistently 35 minutes before the end of the film on. Yeah. Just, I was, it was like not, the, the tears were not, they didn't stop crying, which I don't know if I want to tell people that, not for me at all, but for their experience. I want them to go in and be well, able you to just be wrecked. Did. <laughs> so, sorry y'all, but it is so, so, okay, that's one of the great things about film. So, uh, as a filmmaker, I'm always thinking about, how a film was made, specifically like how it was written down. I'm always thinking about when I'm watching a film, I'm like, how did they write this on the screenplay? And it's really tough because a lot of the best moments in movies are like really small glances or touches of hands or really, really small moments. Um, 
And this film is just full of them. And it has so much buildup that it took me a couple minutes to come down to the level and the frequency of the film. But when I did, it was perfect. It was perfect. What about you? Okay, well, um, there were so many parts of this film. I loved it. I'll just say that right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Um, There's so many parts in this film where my jaw was wide open. Mm-hmm. You know, just mm-hmm. I was in shock yeah. at what was happening on screen. Mm-hmm. Not that I think that shocking happens. No. But There's just only one thing that would be considered In shock shocking. of how emotionally vulnerable and honest this film is. Right. Um, the... One, like you said earlier, it's a beautiful setting, mm-hmm. and I, an ideal scenario, one could say. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Literally a dream. <laughs> like, if I could be the main character, mm-hmm. I would in a heartbeat. Yeah. You oh, know? Yeah. yeah. For every single reason. Right. So we'll get into those later. Okay. But um, I had an amazing time. It was escapist, mm-hmm. but it also felt very true. Yeah. And um, I will also say, I think this might be my favorite movie ever made about sex. Mm. I think the way that sex and longing is depicted in this film mm-hmm. might be the most realistic I've ever seen. Yeah, I did uh, on, I do a podcast called Ben and Ben and the Criterion where we watch Criterion movies and we did just watch In the Mood for Love, which uh, is probably my favorite movie about in, in, that, in that ballpark. Um, but there was something that this film captured that I haven't seen in a long time where the actors legitimately feel like they are in love. I, I would also say... And not, not just the main two. Yeah. That's something really important. Um, the family in this film yeah. is incredible. Yeah. Um, in every way that you would want a family to be. Supportive. Um, but for me, and I don't know if this is... This isn't spoilers, but there are several scenes where... Um, the family, which is the mom and dad and the son, um, are relaxing together and they're just like laying on each other. Yeah. And it's this really intimate physical act that I think is super special. Um, I don't know if a lot of families do that. My family didn't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's just like a, it's like a checking in. It's like, hey, I love you. Hey, I'm glad you're here. Mm-hmm. Hey, I like being around you. Um, I want to really quick say something to what I was saying earlier mm-hmm. about how this is my favorite movie about sex. Um, I want to make it clear that even though this film, and I, I don't think this is a spoiler because I think if you've seen a trailer for this movie, it's pretty clear it's a love story about between two men. Mm-hmm. Uh, I That even though there is sex between two male characters, that I, I don't mean this is my favorite movie about like gay sex. Like, right. I'm not a gay man, right. and yet the sex scenes in this movie felt so true to even my experiences mm-hmm. and just human sensuality. Yeah. Uh, and I've never seen anything like it. As a gay man, I will say that the sex depicted in this film is uh, honest and true and yeah. real. Um, we're not actually watching them have legitimate, like, real sex, but... The, the, the physical bodies and the movements of those bodies is so true to the experience. I don't know what it would be like in 1983, but in 2017... I don't know, totally I don't know that much on. has changed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And, there, and we'll get into more deeply uh, an explanation of that. You know, I think a lot of people have put this movie at the top of their top ten list for the year. Mm-hmm. One or two spots. Right. Um, I won't be able to say right now where it lands. Where it might it's land for me. It's way too fresh. Yeah. Um, but I can say right now that this is probably going to be one of my favorite love stories mm. of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think it is so beautifully captured. It's slow, but so is summer. And mm-hmm. that's what this movie is about. Right. And so it feels very fitting. Yeah. Um, Just a sun-dappled story. Yeah. It, that's exactly what it is. It's... Um, I had an amazing time with this film. Ben and I will probably see it again before I leave. Yes, probably. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if that gives you any indication of how much we loved it. Yeah. And it's like, the film knows what it is and it does it very well. It's in the tradition of like Eric Rommer's Claire's Knee where it's just like, and it's, I think that was Italian, but a European family in on like a really nice vacation spot, like just drenched in sun, taking it easy, feeling feelings. Like, that's what this movie is. Yeah. Um, 
But it's I'm also all so about much more. movies that are just about feeling feelings. <laughs> that sounds like my ideal movie. Um, and yeah, I think I was I've, I've been thinking about this a lot. Um, I've been thinking about what the the huge question of like what is art. Um, and I think one of the things that I think about it is that life moves at a very very fast pace. And I think that art and artists, what they do is they look at a specific moment and they're like, hey, let's like expand this moment and look at it and pay attention to it because life is moving so fast that this is important. Mm -hmm. And that's what this film did um, specifically for the lives of two characters who I won't say who they are. One is the main character and one is a different character. Yeah. Um, can we please talk about spoilers? Yes. Okay. <laughs> We're now going to talk about spoilers. Okay, good. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Are you paying attention? It's your last chance to walk away. Let me tell you what's gonna happen. Now, crack and gas. Spoilers! Remember, you wanted this. Um, this film, a lot of people have talked about how it's a, you know, it's a romance story, but it's also a great story about fathers and sons. Um, and if we're gonna just talk about spoilers, I'm gonna... We're going there. Okay. So there's a scene at the end of this film where um, the father, who is played by... Michael he, Stuhlbarg. Michael Stuhlbarg. Who is an incredible actor. He's so good. He's so good. In this movie, he kind of gives some Robin Williams Goodwill Hunting vibes mm -hmm. a little bit. Um, but there's a scene between him and his son where he um, comes clean... And he, well, he comes out to his son. And he is... I will say it's much more than that. It is so much more than that. Yeah. He comes out to his son, but also what he does is he affirms his son and is like, do not push down, suffocate, or squelch the beautiful parts of you that you are feeling right now and the horrible like feelings that you're feeling. Like feel it all, feel like the longing and the sadness, but also like who you are is so great. Mm -hmm. um, My favorite line from that monologue that he has is. We're only given one heart and one body, and that's it. Mm -hmm. You know, and I—that wasn't the exact wording, but that right. was pretty much it. And, right. Um, it's and, such an important sentiment. Well, and what he does is, so his son is seventeen, and he's probably in his forties or fifties, and he's looking at his son who is in a really, really explosive time in his life where he has just realized, not only that he's gay, but also that he—I would say queer because. Yeah. Um, I would say, to me, the character read as bisexual as, as or bi. queer. Yeah. Um, that was my interpretation of it. So mm -hmm. that's the phrasing I would use. See, as a dude who's done similar things, yeah, I haven't. Uh, I I I recognize a lot of the behavior, but it also might have been um, as somebody who I, I can't speak to the bisexual yeah. experience. But uh, a lot of the behavior of Enio is that his name? Elio. Elio. Um, of messing around with a girl, uh, I remember doing things like that because it was like, this is what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Um, but what he, he's in this moment in his life where he is figuring out that he's queer and also he has his heart broken because the guy that he loved left and he's not going to see him again. And his dad affirms him and is like, I love you. I love what you had. And he's like, his dad is like, Pay attention. What you had is is something that is rare and special. And for an adult to say that to a 17-year-old is such a healthy and wonderful thing. Um, yeah, because I think the common narrative, straight or gay, would be you're 17. You don't you're, know. You don't know. What love is. Or this will happen so many times for you. You mm -hmm. know, like right. so many fish in the sea. Right. I know it hurts now, mm -hmm. but someday it'll be better. Right. You know. And I think that it was so important for, in this monologue, when he says, he affirms his son, he affirms the love that he has, but he also addresses the, psych, the psychology of what's happening. Yeah. He's, he's saying, he says something to the extent of, um, feeling nothing so you don't feel something is a mistake. Mm -hmm. Feel these feelings. Um, and it kind of goes into what you were saying, where it's like you only get one chance. You only get one heart and body um, and if you become somebody who doesn't feel something, it is such a waste. Yeah. And it was just like, I was, oh my God, I'm so glad you didn't look over because it would have been like, 
Ben's face is now a sea. <laughs> it is just an ocean of water. Um, but it just it was such a magical scene. It's gonna be one of my favorite scenes because it's uh it's it's a father seeing his son and his son seeing his father yeah. in this in this incredibly vulnerable way. <laughs> I'm gonna get teared up. Yeah. Oh. I, um so there let's talk about another incredibly emotional scene. Okay. Um, while we're on the top, the topic, yeah. um, we're starting at the end. Um, there, so the credits, mm-hmm. the credit scene, yeah, where it's just Elio. Which, let's talk. Okay, yeah, Elio staring at the fire mm-hmm. after hearing some heartbreaking news. Yeah, and just a long, maybe three minute shot on mm-hmm. his face. Mm-hmm. Um, Such a good shot. I mean, it was so impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, I really want to bring this up because it's an excuse for me to talk about how amazed I am at the performance throughout the whole film mm-hmm. of Timothy Chalamet. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm blown away by this kid. Yeah. When you when Army Hammer is your second most charming <laughs> performer in a movie, that's saying something. Yeah. He um, was incredible. He I was, think he was incredible for just the nuance and the yeah. tightrope that he walks in this. I mean, like you said, uh, yes, it's like so emotion, emotionally vulnerable and at the same time charming and at mm-hmm. the same time awkward and yes. at the same time lighthearted and funny mm-hmm. and sexy and mm-hmm. weird and... Yeah, um, and real. Yeah, so real. Yes. Especially, it just felt like such a perfect nuanced performance of a 17-year-old because mm-hmm. it is someone who is truly on the cusp mm-hmm. of being a child and an adult. Mm-hmm. Um, there are so many things about a 17-year-old's life that is adult and so many things that are still right. young young and youthful. And you're feeling all of those at once. Mm-hmm. And all the awkward dance moves he would do would delight me. <laughs> or the way he would like repeat things to himself. Um Yes. It just felt so, such a vivid portrayal. One of the most vivid things I think about his performance that stuck out to me was um, the little physical advances he would make on Army Hammer, where he would, and I've done this so many times, where you're so overwhelmed with emotion and like affection for a person, you just like slam your forehead into their shoulder yeah. or like bite their shoulder, or you do these like little physical animalistic things. Because you're like, I'm feeling so much, and I just need to have contact well, with you. <laughs> and that's what I mean about how this movie is my favorite depiction of sex. Mm-hmm. Because often in movies, there's a statement, mm-hmm. and then a big kiss, and yeah. then lots of sex. Right. And this movie felt so much more real in that there are these slow lead-ins to sex, usually. Mm-hmm. Or like... You make out for a little while and then you have to stop and, and you stop like, and laugh. Or yeah, stop and like check. Or your you phone. move on and do something else, right. and then um, it's not as simple as most movies make it. It's not a one, two, three thing. And right. this film really captures both with his sex scenes with Army Hammer and his sex scenes with um, what's her name? It starts with an M. Um, Markella, I think. Yeah, that sounds um, right. And. His sex scenes with her as well. Yeah, how he has actual sex with her and it lasts about 15 seconds. But also just the lead up to those. Yeah. And like the the young way that like you're kind of desperate for a body and mm-hmm. um, Yeah. And you're you you know all about sex and it's that time in your life when you're like, all right, I'm actually gonna experience it. Yeah. What do I do? Yeah. <laughs> there was none of the glamour of a typical Hollywood sex scene. Right. There was a move, a physical move that I saw in this film that I was like, that's the most real thing that can happen. Um, it's when Army Hammer, Army, or, or let's just go with their character names, Oliver and Elio. Um, they're in their room and they're having, I guess it's, they have this meetup that they had planned all day mm-hmm. and they're finally on, on the bed and uh, Elio does this Role where he gets up and sits on Oliver's lap. Yeah. And it's this move that I'm like... For like a better kissing mm-hmm. vantage point. And, it's, and I saw that and I was like, that is perfect. That's exactly yeah. what happens. That's exactly how you move. And when you're like really excited about being with the other person and you like can't contain yourself... It's the best. Yeah. I, I was like, this is so good. <laughs> yeah. Like just, I mean, you know, representation of like legitimate gay sexuality on screen is just so, so refreshing. Right. It's so nice. Absolutely. Um, um, yeah. Also, 
I know that I need to process a lot of this about this movie before I can really fully decide how good it is or isn't. Mm-hmm. But I can say without a doubt, it has, I think, one of my all-time favorite first kisses. Um, again, because of how real it is. Yeah. There's nothing grand about it. No. It's very hesitant, mm-hmm. and that and that and weird is, is and, yes, yeah. it makes it so true. <laughs> and it's beautiful, it's and it's so uncomfortable, beautiful. and sexy, and sexy, and just like and and funny. Yeah, <laughs> right. And there's like one of the great things that uh, that Timothy does is he. He does this posturing in the middle of sexual acts that is so realistic, where it's like a it's like a faux bravado um, that he does when he's like kissing Army or like getting near Army, and I'm like, that's exactly what you do. Yeah. Like that's exactly what I would do if I was kissing Army Hammer. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, at the beginning of this movie, we should talk about like again what an escapist movie this is. Right. Is that I was like, man. What I would pay to be this character, to be a hot, charming, incredibly intelligent gay boy, let's say gay for, yeah, you know, for uh, arguments yeah, yeah, who knows several languages, uh-huh. whose parents who's, love him unconditionally. Who's great at the piano and, and guitar. And he's close with his parents. Uh-huh. They live in a beautiful Italian mansion that his mother inherited because his father is a professor. Mm-hmm. And they just spend their summers in Italy, and he gets to like hang out with cool Italian teens and have sex with Army Hammer. <laughs> and he, oh, and constantly, and all he, his days when he's not having sex with Army Hammer, mm-hmm. his days are just filled with reading, mm-hmm. playing music, swimming, swimming, and eating fresh fruit <laughs> from an orchard in his backyard. It is the best life. I, you know that when they wrote this movie, they were like, what's like the ideal life? Well, it's based on a book. So, oh, is it a book? Oh, yes. Okay. So, okay. in fact, um, so I've been waiting book, to read the book yes. till after I see the movie. And I have the audio book, which Army Hammer narrates. Fuck everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, can we talk about one scene that was really interesting that confused me? Sure. The scene when they go into town at the beginning where, uh, where uh, Elio... Confronts Oliver around the the World War One right, statue. where he kind of confess, confesses his um, admiration for him. Yeah. Okay. So slightly. let's talk about what's happening. So if you haven't seen the movie, um, so nothing has happened between the characters at this point. There have been like little things, like little little signals, little glances, but nothing overt. Right. Um, but at this point, um, Elio is like he's he's realized he's like oh. I am into that. Yeah. And they're at this World War II monument, and he's... So, okay, so this is what I want to talk about. It's very... It was confusing to me um, what was happening, because it wasn't explicitly said Uh what was happening. Um, I came to... I gathered... So the lines are... uh, Army Hammer's just like, man, you know everything. Yeah. And Elio's like, no, I, I, I don't know, you know, anything about the things that matter. And it's like, okay. And then he's like, well, what matters? And he was like, well, you know. Right. So in that moment, it took me a while to realize, like, he's like, oh, Elio knows that Oliver's gay in that moment. Yeah. Which I didn't know. How did he know that? I mean, I think it's just implied that they both sensed it from each other. Gotcha. Okay. I mean, can you relate to that at all? Mm. About knowing if someone is gay? About getting a sense of that, and then it just kind of be an understanding between the two of you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I guess I was just, from that scene, I was expecting him to say, uh, I like you, or like, I'm gay, or something like that. Right. Um, I didn't realize that he was like, I understand that you are also, and therefore we are both. Because at that time in the film, I was still wrestling with the fact that Army Hammer is supposed to be like a 21-year-old. 24. Oh, 24. Yeah. Do they? Oh, okay. I must have missed that. They don't, I don't know if they ever say it. Okay. I know in the book, the character is 24. He's 24. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I was just like wrestling with that the whole movie. I was like, because you sent me, Sandra sent me a, like a Christmas card. What was that? The the Army Hammer thing? I don't know. I don't remember. It was like this. him and his wife and his kids. Oh, yes. Yeah. And I like had that in my brain going into this. And right. I was like, he's like in his mid 30s. Mm hmm. But this character is supposed to be 21. I was 
I was I like, I think Army Hammer is like either 29 or like 30 or 31. Really? He's like around that age. Oh, fuck. Yeah, I think. He's younger than I thought he was. Um, it's because he's so tall. Yeah. And he has kids. That's probably yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. so, was, so that let's was talk confusing. about the age gap. Okay. Yeah. So, did the age gap bother you? Yes. Yeah. But also, like, a lot of my background was bothering me. Like, it shouldn't have bothered me because uh, Elio's parents are so supportive and were like, yeah, go for it. Um, but I was just nervous. I was like, they're going to get caught. They're going to, it's going to go bad. Okay. You um, were worried about outside forces. Yes. Getting in trouble. Okay. Um, because of them being gay or because of an age gap? Because he was a student staying there for the summer in that house. Oh, okay. Uh, and I was like, would the parents really want their son... They were kind son, of sharing a room. Yeah. Would yeah. the parents really want their son, this, like, essentially stranger, yeah. like, messing around with their 17-year-old son? Yeah. That's what I was thinking about because okay. I'm a responsible adult. <laughs> um, the age gap, so 17 to 24. I think we all have our own, yeah. like personal tastes about like ages of people we date but I guess what I'm referencing is it's especially relevant right now right because like we're in a time where a lot of media figures are um getting accused of sexual assault or Mm. like consent and age is is a real topic of conversation right thankfully it is um in this movie here's the thing is that I think age gaps are nuanced, mm-hmm. and and in this movie, it felt like oh, it was it felt like it all made sense. It felt like it made sense, and they actually addressed that. Yeah. Like, at one point, Army Hammer reflects on a an instance where he touched Elio, and he was like, "The way you responded, I felt like I molested you." Yeah. Um, and it was like a, a nod to the, the 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 age gap and the age difference. Um, it didn't bother it. it I only bring it up because I thought it sounded like it was something that was a concern for you. No, so I think it was just, it was the actors more than the characters, hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. The knowledge of their actual age. Uh, and I, I guess also, like, it was so hard for me to reconcile how big Army Hammer was, how small yeah. uh, Timothy was. Yeah, that definitely plays into it. But it also was kind of hot. <laughs> of course. Um, Can we talk about, I don't, okay, so they have sex. But I was trying to figure out the roles. I was trying to figure out who's the top and who's the bottom. Does it matter? It doesn't matter, but like I think that they like leave clues, and so I was trying to figure out what was happening. Yeah. Um, so there's a very like what we talked about earlier. There's an iconic scene with a piece of fruit. Did you know about that scene before this movie? No. Okay, so I already knew. No, about that. I had no idea. It was very vocal on the internet that this scene happened. Okay, I didn't know about um, that. Yeah, in, in the scene in which. Um, Elio, like, do people call this movie the art house American Pie? No. Okay. Um, Where Elio masturbates with a peach. Yeah. Um, I don't know if this is for sure accurate, but I think in the book, Mm -hmm. um, Oliver actually does bite into the peach. Mm. (laughs) In the movie, he tries to, but then doesn't. Yeah. Um, But I think in the book, he really does. I like that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let me tell you another funny thing tell that I read about, about. And again, I think I'm remembering this correctly. Okay. But there was an interview with the director, Luca Guadagino. Is that mm-hmm. how you say it? Um, yeah. And they brought up the peach scene. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you know, I was so conflicted about whether to include it in the movie or not. Because it is a scene in the book. Right. And he's like, would it feel real? Would it feel fake? Would it feel hokey? Like, or, or over the top? He goes, so, you know, I tried it. Ah! <laughs> yes! Yes! Um, I love like, it. I tried it. And he goes, you know what? And it worked great. And I thought, you know, this has to be in the movie. Mm-hmm. So I came to Timothy to tell him, I think this needs to stay in the movie. I tried it. I think it's important. <laughs> and I think, from what I remember, Timothy replied, he's like, of course, I tried it too. <laughs> It's so good. Because in in the scene, he's feeling this peach, and I'm like, oh, oh, he's thinking about butts. (laughs) He's thinking like, he's thinking about a butt. This is amazing. Um, It was incredible. And it was like, it's so interesting when uh, graphic and real sexuality is depicted in film, not exploitative at all, Mm -hmm. but just kind of like, you know, observationally. Yeah. And that's what this scene is, because you're like, oh... He's a 17-year-old who doesn't know what to do with his body. Yeah. Well, and it didn't feel out of place because we had so many previous scenes of him 
either masturbating or like being incredibly sensual by himself. Right. And so that scene felt like a natural, it felt like there's a natural lead up to it. Yes. And that's one of the great things that this whole movie does is that it earns every moment that it does. Yeah. The great monologue from the father is so powerful because it is earned because we have seen examples earlier in the film where the father takes a stance of, um, you know, loving people's relationship, no matter what it looks like. Or supporting people regardless of, of what it is that they're doing, um, if they're family. And so everything feels earned. And weirdly enough, Plucking a Peach is earned in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, um, I also loved the amount of respect this movie gave to um, the teenage girl character in it. Talk about that because I have a lot of thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. I just feel like... The movie wasn't about her. It was about Elio. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was an important part of his like d- journey and awakening. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like it didn't just cast her aside. It like really... Elio kind of cast her aside mm-hmm. at one point in the film. Right. And the movie took the time to have that scene to show like her heartbreak and how valid that was. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and to reconcile those characters, I thought, in a believable way. Right. So um, I've talked about this in other places before, but one of the things that I'm really railing against in queer representations in cinema is several tropes. Uh, the trope of queer relationships breaking up families, queer relationships being forbidden, queer relationships breaking, you know, causing trouble and causing harm just for their existence. Um, Which this movie didn't do any of those. Correct. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that this film handled well, but I just thought was so unfortunate and it, for the experience of the character, was how the peripheral experience of the female um, girl who is, in her mind, seducing and falling in love with a guy who likes her back. Yeah. Um, and that, that, that horrible situation where she's falling in love with someone who is dealing with something that is very complicated um, and she does get cast aside by the other character. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very, it's very, it's just tough to watch. It's tough to watch, it's it's tough to watch her long for this guy and her to be just like put on the back burner. Mm-hmm. Um, while that's been happening for centuries in cinema to women, it's tough now to watch, especially in a, in a queer story because it's like, like, it's not, a, it's not even about, it's not even, it's not even that it's not about you. It's like, he likes dicks, and like maybe he likes you too. Yeah. See, I'm. I think we have very different interpretations. Tell of me. This. Yeah. Tell me what you thought. You seem to have. Correct me if I'm wrong. This interpretation that like he is like for sure gay, and he experimented with her, but mm-hmm. was pretty much interested in guys, yeah. and she's like a casualty of that. Yes. Um, that was my reading. My reading was more. He's young, and he's figuring out himself yeah. and his sexuality, and. That includes both genders, right. at, at least at this point in time, yeah. you know, and that he was incredibly attracted to her mm-hmm. and had a chemistry and a connection, but then around the same time met someone who he was, he was falling head over heels for. Right. And, and a, a lot of the films, and now that I'm thinking about it, a lot of the scenes between them definitely show that. Yeah. Where and, he is very interested in her. Well, and like, I don't feel like their relationship it didn't feel obligatory to me mm. it like the scene where he rushes to meet her yeah. like he can't get there fast enough right like that doesn't feel like someone who just has a girlfriend to have a girlfriend because right or to like put to, like, people off the sense you know right. it's like no i feel like he, I feel like he's 17 and really excited about sex yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely and i also didn't feel like her character was like in love with his character the way he was in love with Oliver. Mm, I feel no, like her character, this was a childhood friend mm-hmm. who they're teenagers and they're hormonal and they're, they just are going to have sex with each other. Mm-hmm. And she thinks it might be the start of something. Right. And then he ghosts her. Mm-hmm. And she's hurt by that because yeah. of, because that's hurtful. Yeah. Um, and so we reckon with like her... Um, sadness and disappointment over 
him like ghosting her. Right. But I didn't feel like it was the sadness and disappointment of a lost love. Mm, yeah. Now that you're talking about it, I'm, it makes me think about how this film uh, gives kind of peripheral female characters these really complicated and complex stories. We get, uh, her name is Marzia. 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 But we also get um, uh, Elio's mom. Yeah. Who she doesn't get, she gets a lot of screen time, but she doesn't say a lot. Uh But her presence is so well known and what she is thinking is so complicated. Yeah. Um, And it's so refreshing to watch a mother support her son uh, however and whatever he wants to do. Um, But also we we learn um, that she has a, even more complicated relationship than she may know. Yeah. Um, which is, is just, is very, um, very sad, but at the same time, mm-hmm. I kind of had the feeling like they're going to be okay because these people love each other so much. Right. Um, but I really did like how even the peripheral characters, to some extent, if you want to call them that, had so much depth. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of what else I want to say about her. I want to bring up how surprised I was by how funny this movie could be. Yeah. It definitely, it's not a comedy by any means, but um, there was a lot of moments where we laughed quite hard. (laughs) Um, The line, is it because they're gay or just ridiculous? (laughs) Um, I need a gif of that right away. So good. Um, Yeah. And I think just like the smarminess between the smarmy flirtatiousness between Elio and Oliver is hilarious. He's so funny. Yeah. He's so funny. We've le- we saw that in Lady Bird. We saw it in Lady Bird. <laughs> and now in this movie, oh man, yeah, he's he cracks be, me up. He's, he is going to be running Hollywood in a couple of years. Yeah. Oh my and God. It's also so fun to watch him because I know that if I was a 17-year-old, he would just be like the big, the biggest crush in the world for mm, me. You know, know, like... Well, and that is probably, if I had to have any issue with this movie... Was and and more than anything, it would be the character. Is he's kind of like a punk ass dick a little bit. Like he's like seventeen and obnoxious, but he's like just like a rich dude, a rich kid. He's a rich kid. That's, yeah, that's basically what it is. Um, he's so charming, but there were several times where I was just like, oh, kind of the worst. <laughs> Wait, why do you think he was the worst? Um, I think it was because I don't know that any of his. I don't know, but he is like very rich and privileged. Right, but I don't feel like any of that affected him in a negative way that we saw in this film. Yeah, I think it was a lot of just like like attitude in the character. With who? Um, I think with, with Army Hammer sometimes. Yeah. Um, and sometimes with the girls. I was just like, oh, you're, you're Billionaire Boys Club. Yeah. You know, what was interesting about my read on that is I think it has less to do with his money and more to do with how smart he thinks he is. That might have been it. Yeah. Yeah. And I did know people growing up who were, uh, who felt that way because they were so smart. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. And he was I mean, and, But he does get called out on it mm-hmm. by Army Hammer. By the most wonderful person. Yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine being the son of a professor and ro- Army Hammer rolls up no. for a <laughs> summer? Ugh. Yeah. Oh my god. I mean, here's the thing. If because this like we said, because this movie handles so many scenes in such a true realistic way, mm-hmm. the the premise of this movie, yeah. which is completely like <laughs> like a fairy tale is easier to swallow. I want to go back and and talk about a little bit. One of the biggest humor elements of this film is how goofy Army Hammer is in this movie. Yeah. He is so goofy. Yeah. His like dancing and his earnestness and his ability to go like dance with strangers because he's feeling the music is Uh so funny. Yeah. And I was like, fuck man, you have it all. You're tall, you're hot, you're funny too. Yeah. Ugh. God, I want to give I want to give all of my money to every project he's in. Um, what else do I want to say? I okay, so this is kind of uh, completely off topic, but okay. I didn't know that this was like part of a trilogy for the filmmaker. Um, so the filmmaker made two films before this: mm-hmm. I Am Love with mm-hmm. Tilda Swinton and A Bigger Splash. Right, and it's called the Desire trilogy. I mean, they're not the stories aren't connected. Right, right, right. But like, like just thematically. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen either of those. I haven't either. Although I've heard nothing but great things about both. Well, if like, judging by this film, like I'm gonna love those movies. No, I, I definitely have been meaning to watch both of those, yeah. and I will for sure now. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you want to talk mean, about? I think I really need to see this movie again. And I need to take yep. like a month apart from it before I can really tell you like what this movie means to me. Right. Um, with this fresh like moment, all I can think about is like the the sensuality of it. Mm-hmm. Um, the the biggest thing for me was like how like how the film placed you so specifically in this world. Um, and it's like like you feel like you're in this Italian villa with them mm-hmm. in this weird 1983 moment with this supportive family. Yeah. Um, I really didn't want to leave. I wanted to stay. Sure. I wanted to stay and after the as the the credit scene, I wanted to see what happened because I knew that his family was going to be there for him. Yeah. And I knew they were going to help him deal with his heartbreak that he learns about and I wanted to con- and I think that's the sign of a really good film is that you want to stay in the world. Right. Yeah. Right. I think this is a good place for us to wrap up. I think so. Um, then where can we find you online? Um, I'm on Twitter. I'm, I'm on Instagram. I think it's... What's your username? I know. I can't remember. It's like at Ben27. Something... That's some not variation. what it is. It's not Ben27. <laughs> <laughs> it's something like that. Ben Weaver 27 Something like that. I don't know. I have no idea. And tell us about your podcast again. Yeah. So we... Uh, it's called Ben and Ben and the Criterion. And me and my, fan, my friend Ben Hilton talk about... Criterion Collection films. Um, we just watched Personal Shopper, uh, which was really great. Oh, I need to mm-hmm. get on that episode. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. It was a fun time. A lot of Kristen Stewart love. Great. A lot of love. Okay, well, you can find me on all social media platforms, especially Twitter, Instagram, Letterbox, um, at Sandra Amstutz. My last name is spelled A-M-S-T-U-T-Z. And you can get at the podcast Twitter um, at Feeling It Pod, and we'd love to hear from you, especially if you um, have seen or are planning to see Call Me By Your Name. Um, thanks for listening. Yeah. Bye bye. Bye, guys. Thank you. Goodbye, now. Goodbye. Go away. I'll see you soon, okay? That's it. Go home. Yeah. Moving along, Padre. Goodbye, old friend. That's it. That's our show for tonight, people. 